Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And my name is Doris Hansen, and I'm the host uh, for the program. Very grateful to be able to do so. And tonight just happens to be uh, the first show beginning our sixth year of broadcasting here, Polygamy, What Love Is This? on KTMW TV 20, Salt Lake City. And we're so grateful for this television station that has been so faithful to provide Christian programming. And we find it rather ironic that the first show of our sixth year actually features interviews with escapees from the Kingston Polygamy Group, the group that I was born and raised in, and escaped from. And we certainly don't, didn't plan it this way, but we wonder if this is God's poetic justice. We are going to be uh, interviewing a couple of, of ladies from the Kingston Polygamy Group tonight, but I would like to uh, let you know of some websites that you can go to to find information out about the Kingston Group. Uh, the links are good links, and you'll find out a lot of good information. The first one is www.rickross.com. You can go there and find a lot of information and news articles on the past dealings with the Kingston Group. And also there is one on Wikipedia, <coughs> excuse me, uh, wikipedia.org, uh, wiki letter, uh, or wiki Latter-day um, of Christ. And of course, you can write that down off the screen. And if you are unable to get all of it, just email us and we'll give you both links that you can go to to find a lot of information. We'll cover some of that information tonight, uh, but there's a lot more there that we won't be able to cover. As I already mentioned, I was born and raised in the Kingston Polygamy Group. And the Kingston Group is also known as, and it was first began called the Davis County Cooperative. Society. That was its original and legal name. And it is sometimes called Co-op for short of the Cooperative Society. Sometimes it's called the Order, and you may hear us referring to it as the Order tonight during our discussion. And that, of course, is short for the United Order, as invented by Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. And it's also called the Latter-day Church of Christ, which is its religious name. And then, of course, it's been nicknamed the Kingston Clan. The group was founded in, uh, in Bountiful, Utah. It has business ownerships and members living in various locations throughout Utah, as well as several other states in the Intermountain West. And to most polygamy group <clears throat> members, their controlling force is their religion and their leadership. Nothing or no one is more important than their religion and their faithfulness to the group. This could also be said of the Kingston group. Nearly everything they do is determined by what the group leader calls direction from God. It covers such things as when a marriage will occur, who the marriage partner will be, education, even dietary requirements. 
The group was founded in 1935 by Eldon Kingston, and we have some pictures of the leadership that we'd like to put up on the screen. Eldon Kingston was the founder of the group, and when he died, his brother, Ortel, John Ortel Kingston, became the leader. And when he died, his son, Paul Kingston, became the leader and is the current leader of the Kingston Polygamy Group. This group is highly secretive. As children, we were warned and threatened against ever talking to anyone outside of the group, telling what went on inside the group. We were cautioned and counseled what to say and what not to say to anyone who inquired about our personal and home life. The ultimate threat that they always relied upon was if we failed to be compliant, we were doomed to eternal damnation into the deepest depths of hell, becoming a son of perdition, which was worse than the devil. Because of the fear implanted into the child's mind, top secrecy continues to be maintained in the Kingston polygamy group while, while, while they keep a peaceful and, and compliant facade to the public. Tonight, we have the privilege of interviewing two very lovely and lively young ladies who have left the Kingston polygamy group for various reasons and have been able to make a new life for themselves outside of polygamy. It's very courageous of these women to agree to talk about some painful experiences and to discuss the very things that they were warned against talking about as they grew up inside polygamy. So to get into a very interesting, revealing, and sometimes heart-wrenching program, let me introduce our special guests. <clears throat> First, I would like to introduce Nicole. She was born and raised in the Kingston group, as we mentioned, and she left the group. And believe it or not, Nicole is now living happily outside the group, and she's happily married. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you. Thank you for having the courage to come and talk. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're, you're more than welcome for that. <laughs> and next, I would like to introduce Jessica Christensen. After trying to run away from her polygamist home and family three times, beginning at the age of eight years old, she finally made it out safely and permanently. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you. <laughs> welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you for coming. We have an interesting conversation that we have <laughs> planned for tonight. I'm going to ask you questions and, and just answer them, you know, how you feel comfortable doing it. As most of the questions I'm going to ask you will be, uh, both of you will be able to answer. Sometimes I'll directly ask a question where you both won't need to answer, but uh, for the most part, just, just, let's just talk about your life in the Kingston group. But briefly, first of all, <clears throat> tell us when you left and... How old you are when you left, when you got out? I, it actually took me a couple times to leave. Um, I tried for the first time when I was 17 and lived in my car for a little bit. Wow. And then moved in with somebody from the outside of the community just because I had, I wasn't 18, so I wasn't able to get an apartment or anything. Yeah. And then they threatened me and I went back and then I left again permanently when I was 19. Wow, so you, you, you were 17 and you, how long did you live in your car? Um, about a month, month and a half. Really? Was, was this summer or winter? <laughs> uh, spring. Springtime. So it wasn't that, it could have been worse, let's it, put it like it that, but that isn't good. Okay, and um, what about yourself? How old were you? And Well, like you mentioned before, eight is the first time I was that I remember 
telling on my parents and telling about, you know, some of the abuse and neglect that was going on. And the don't know exactly what happened on the state side of things, but somehow at one point we got sent home, sent back to our home after being in foster care for a while. Mm -hmm. And so we were in back in my parents' care and I, Halloween night 2001, 2001, I ran away because I knew that they weren't going to be looking for me at least till 11 p.m. at night, so mm -hmm. I had time to get away. Mm -hmm. So I ran away Halloween night and I was in state's custody for, I was home. Sent back home by judge. Sent back home again. Yep, by by Thanksgiving. And wow. then um, at this point, they were really trying to help me want to stay. They were offering me, you know, some good things like a husband or whatever. And <laughs> in their mind. <laughs> yeah, in their mind. <laughs> and um, that was pursuing. And honestly, it kind of was working because I didn't want to leave when the next event happened. It just by a series of events, by default, just happened. Uh -huh. And so... Um, by the next time I got my ears first and my dad was threatening to pull them out and I was like, well, I'm getting married. I don't belong to you. And I asked my husband, the person that's going to be my husband and he was okay with it. So I'm out, you know, mm -hmm. and I just took off running wow. and my dad started chasing me and I was just going to walk away and just walk, like walk down the street and just go like walk away. But when he started chasing me, then I ran into a gas station and I hid and that gas station lady, never seen her since. But she made a huge difference in my life, and she called the cops. She, you know, kind of figured out what building I came from, knew that it was a polygamous building, and she took the initiative to step up and do something. And from there, everything just started rolling. And because of my previous mm -hmm. cases, people would have been like, we've seen you before, what's going on? Like, yeah. why are you keep coming back in the system? So it seems like the, the, the normal procedure, in fact, I think that, that they're, they're, uh, the states uh, platform is if some teenager if someone leaves a polygamy group the they, their whole purpose is to bring you back to make sure that they can restore the family the state's purpose mm -hmm. yeah the state does have a they want to preserve the family even though it's polygamist mm -hmm. even though basically because the, the they're trying to not discriminate against polygamy which I mean they should but <laughs> well, they should because it is against yeah. the law. <laughs> and then polygamists cry religion, religion, yeah. freedom of religion. Yeah. So they're yeah. kind of in a tough spot. But I'm thankful for it working out the way it did for me. Okay. <laughs> were there sta care scare tactics that were used against you before you made the choice to leave while you were growing up? What kind of scare tactics did they use to keep you from wanting to leave? The biggest thing for me that made me stay for so long is because they threatened to take my siblings and I, I I stay to protect them they threatened to have, never have any contact with them again mm -hmm. they threatened eternal damnation but I didn't care mm -hmm. I was already in hell yeah hell wasn't it couldn't so, be that much worse right so it was basically shunning yeah. and and uh, and hell and is that the true with you? Yeah, actually, after I ran away in the 2001, when I got sent back, then a lot of people spit at me when I was walking at church. I got snowballs, rocks, things thrown at me. I'd have some oh. of my friends, they would um, be walking by me and they would get things tossed at us or spit, a, spit at, just things like that. And I was like, oh, it's me they're doing it to. So if you want to walk over there, and we would literally be like a few, couple feet apart so that they could be protected from all of it. But no, they literally treated me like crap. And so mm -hmm. I was really worried about this 
in 2004 yeah. when I was 15 I was worried about if I got sent back by the judge again what would happen and who would I have become yeah but I would have lost my whole family I did lose my whole family had to re rebuild from the ground up with my whole family and mm -hmm. um, they you know like she said I would have gone to hell sons of perdition and I actually just got to a point where I decided I would rather be in hell with everybody else than in heaven with them because mm -hmm. everyone else looked like they were fine and I just, yeah. That's, that's exactly <laughs> what went through my mind when I made the choice to leave. This is hell and I, it can't be any worse. I'll, I'll, I'll at least live a life here before <laughs> eternal hell. How many wives does your father have? You both have different fathers. How many wives does your father have and how many siblings do you have? Mm. My father has 27 wives and I have over 200 siblings each. over 200 yeah. <laughs> well 27 wives times yeah. 12 each wife <laughs> we have to catch Someone our breath on this one. Oh my goodness <laughs> and what about you my father has 14 wives and I know I'm the 25th kid because I did the like one time mapped it out <laughs> yeah, so I'm like the 25th kid but I think that he's somewhere between 150 to 200 currently oh my goodness but and that's alive because he's had a lot of kids that have not like lived that, and that, that would be the same. Thing, so, so the the over two hundred are living children, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, one hundred and fifty to two hundred living brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness! <laughs> How did your your mothers and your siblings react immediately after you left? I mean, was it dead silence? Were they were were they not? Did they want to contact you, or did they did and, and didn't dare, or they didn't did they not want to contact you? Um. It depends on the kids and it depends on how close the relationship was before I left and how I handled it after I left. With my mom, then she kept a relationship as long as she thought that I would come back. And then once she realized that I wasn't coming back, then it was it was done with her. Mm. She still, I mean, she would still call me and tell me happy birthday or usually a text. That's nice. That's nice. Yeah, she she. Yeah, she did make an effort for there, a little while. There are some that can't even do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, are you on good? Are you on better terms with her now? On more, or is it still pretty shunning? Um, it's it's definitely shunning. Still shunning. She, I feel like sometimes she wants to make an effort, but she's afraid of what will happen. She probably doesn't dare. Yeah, yeah. my brothers and sisters still will try to contact it. I mean, it depends on. Yeah. yeah, it depends on the situation, but they do want contact, and they do, they do try to call me, and they will try to set up time yeah, to meet. That's and, good. So. That's good. That's encouraging. Uh, how about you? Well, of course, it was a different <laughs> circumstance. Different story, certainly. Um, in state's custody, then par my parents fought for me. Mm -hmm. They um, they asked me the night before they were supposed to deliver me to the police or whatever for their restraining order. They asked me if they wanted me if they wanted me, or if I wanted them to fight for me. And of course, I'm sitting there like, mm -hmm. of course I'm gonna say yes. I don't really feel like I had another option to say anything else, so I was mm -hmm. like, yeah. And so I was like, okay, all along the way, I'm going to pretend I wanna come home. <laughs> and I'm going to, you know, try to like ride the line because I've been sent home twice already, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So I had no idea what was gonna happen. Plus, I did wanna go home to my mom I did not want to go home to Daniel, and so I kept thinking in my little mind that somehow magic was going to happen and that was going to work out. And I had this hope that my mom would choose me and my siblings over her husband. Mm -hmm. And so that connection, the state broke off my connection with my mom, like 
you know, very much everybody in the order, the group was really sad and was like, the state took us away. Like, mm -hmm. in their mind, we didn't run away. And um, so it, we, I wasn't allowed to have contact with her, really. And we tried to have contact. The state even broke her contact with the order, trying to, you know, help so that she can become independent. Mm -hmm. And it just got to a point where it was just such a mess that, yeah. um, and it drew, was drawing out past the year and just past the year mark. So when I was 16 is when I just said, you know what, my mom's not choosing me. It's time for me to find a new future. And mm. that's when I just turned well, around. And with the yeah. education I learned in foster care. Certainly that makes a lot of difference, yeah. doesn't it? Education is a big answer to this problem. Huge. <laughs> I want to ask you a question. Are there mothers, do you believe there are mothers inside the group who have suffered tremendously with this lifestyle of polygamy and, and with neglect from their husbands? Do you believe that there are any who have, who have seen their daughters grow up and would rather their daughters not suffer what they suffered and maybe try and help them leave or wish they could help them leave and not have to suffer what she suffered? I would like to believe <laughs> that those mothers exist. You know, we all have the hope that one day we're going to grow up and Prince Charming is going to rescue us or our mother. But um, I personally don't know of anybody whose mother was doing that. Whose mother has helped. What about and you? And by then, I usually think that the mothers are just emotionally dead. Yeah. They don't know how to help. They don't know how to help even if they wanted. Mm -hmm. That's probably fear. I think because with me, then I know with my mom, then even, I mean, from a young age, then the mom has to stand back while the father's abusive. And I think after watching that for so many years and then seeing their daughters grow up, they're, they're to the point where they're just, it's something that's going to happen. The abuse that they watch their daughter's whole life. It's just going to be there. It's just going to happen. It's and just life, huh? There's really nothing they can do about it. Would you say that most of the parents are guilty of failure to protect their children? Absolutely. If not being the one to hurt them in the first mm -hmm. place. But yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And we talked about shunning, and uh, most false religions do practice the shunning process when someone leaves and, and turn and believes differently. Um, I always wondered what it would have been like to have had a mother, and this is, goes on with what you guys were just saying, <laughs> that would have shield me and protect me and defend me. I, I always wanted to, her to do that, and she never did. She, it never happened. It seemed like that she was always against me and was often not even very nice to me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we, uh, I've read books like Escape by Carolyn Jessup and, and others who have left other groups, and they would see their daughters being getting old enough uh, to where they were going to be put in the same position and get so desperate to protect their daughters, they would actually do everything they could to get out so their daughters wouldn't have to go through that. And that's why I was wondering if you've ever seen that happen in the Kingston group. So you were handled, handed a guilt trip after you left. We talked about the guilt trip <laughs> to keep you from leaving. And now that you're gone, what kind of a guilt trip have they placed on you? It comes from everywhere. In fact, they've even brainwashed my siblings to some point to think that it was my fault. That I'm the one that broke up our whole family because I left. And... It's taken a lot of years and a lot of sticking by hearing very hurtful things to teach my siblings that, no, I didn't abandon you. I'm still here. You can call me at any time. Yes. But they, it's them that are keeping our family apart. I mean, if they would let me come home and see you guys every week, I would absolutely, I would be there. But it's not possible because every time I go there, then they call the cops on me. 
and that gets old really <laughs> quick. Is that right? So you were taught the Articles of Faith, the Mormon Articles of Faith, right? Yes. We were, we were taught. And isn't one of those Articles of Faith that we have the right to believe however we want and that we give the right <laughs> to others? That's not what I was taught. necessarily true, I don't is know. It? I have my Bible with me. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? What kind of guilt trips have they placed on you after you're out? Well, so after I officially made the choice to for sure leave and to not go home, then um, I was just in a public high school goofing off with some kid and he just like shoved me like while we were going down the stairs and I tripped and fell and I shattered one knee and I broke the other foot so I was in a wheelchair and Heidi or well my mother <laughs> she saw me and she just came up and she was just like you know why this happened don't you and I knew exactly what she was saying she was saying you left the church you left the order so now you're being punished Mm. The other mm. thing they teach you is that LaDonna, which was Ortel's wife, mm -hmm. so she put this, like, she had this dream, which is how they get all their visionaries mm -hmm. or how God speaks to them. So she had this dream that anybody who leaves is going to have black blood. They really care about the blood. So if you leave, you're somehow, black blood's going to come in your family. Like, you're going to marry it, you're going to have black children. And the sad thing is, a lot of people have. But what's wrong with that? You know, like, there's nothing wrong with someone being black. I don't know why they're, they've somehow gotten confused. Oh, they're very, very right. traditional. Yeah. <laughs> that goes clear back to the beginnings of Mormonism. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And the other one is that you're, you will be cursed as a woman. You'll be cursed your, to have children. Either you will not be able to have children, you'll become completely infertile, oh. or when you do have children, then um, you'll have like hardships in your pregnancies. Mm -hmm. So it's constant. Like I'm sure for you that little things happening you're like okay is this bad thing happening because i made i left the order or is this happening because crap happens to people well, what happens <laughs> when, what happens when those kinds of things happen to people inside the group because it's they're God's not test but with you, well, it's, God's, it's, it's, God's it's God's curse. You know what? God doesn't do things like that. Do you know that? Do you yeah. know? Like, God I'm, does not that hurt now. people. I've learned that now through being a parent. But in the order specifically, <laughs> Daniel, well, these are in the news. But Daniel went to jail and David went to jail, both about 1999 to 2000. Mm -hmm. They're like numbered men. So they're considered... Um, they're considered like high up in the group. Mm -hmm. They don't sin, I guess. So <laughs> when they went to jail, we were told in church that they were in jail suffering our sins. Oh, that yes. we needed to be good. Okay. So it's like if they, mm -hmm. if bad things happen to them, we're sinning. Bad oh. things happen to us, we're sinning. Oh boy, that's you a twist. Can't win. <laughs> that's a horrible twist. My mother told me that my grandpa died because of my sins. But you know what? The only person who pays for sins is Jesus. We either pay for our own sins yeah. in hell, or Jesus paid for them on the cross. So don't ever let people tell you that again. Because I that definitely just isn't had to true. relearn a new relationship with Heavenly Father because through having my own children, I've realized. If I can love my children this much, and Heavenly Father's love is way more Absolutely than mine. Absolutely right. So he, and like, and I can forgive my daughter for anything. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, he can forgive me. And God can we'll figure forgive. it out. And God doesn't <laughs> hurt people. God does not hurt people like that. The devil hurts people. Yeah. But, and then there's just accidents. Life happens, right? Yeah. Right? <laughs> oh, now, when you left, what did you have to learn to do after you left? Like some people had, did not know how to open bank accounts or write checks or balance their checkbook or, or even engage in critical thinking. What did you have to learn to do that's normal life for others? <laughs> this is a long day. I'll let you start. <laughs> okay, I'll start with having a, having a social interaction with somebody 
social skills. Any kind of social skills. Yeah. Maintaining um, a relationship, yes. picking up on social cues, knowing if someone wants you to shut up, <laughs> or if someone's like, keep talking. That's a big one. You know, just like, okay, what's happening right now? So, and everybody's like, okay, looking at yeah. you weird, and you're like, I just <laughs> What said? did I do? <laughs> I don't know what I said. Yeah, yeah. or sorry. like if a guy sits too close to me, it's like, okay, is he coming on to me? Yeah. Or is he just sitting close to me? Yeah. And like feeling That's uncomfortable, like That's trying to pick up the social cues of like, <laughs> with, with just being a friend, being a normal 17, 18, 19 year old kid at high school, like this guy like does this, and I'm like, yeah. oh, we're getting married now. Because oh. <laughs> in the order, you don't hold hands yeah. until you're yeah, engaged. engaged. Yeah. You don't kiss till your wedding day. So it's like, simplest touch was so confusing so interpersonal relationships very difficult and mm -hmm. social skills very difficult i think that was the biggest one i had to learn i don't know about you but i had to learn how to open a bank account i had actually had somebody that i kind of coached bank. <laughs> yeah i had somebody kind of coach me for three months before i left because i was telling because i would go i signed up for a class and i started talking to the people there and they were like what you're saying is not normal you know that you're not normal right now. And I started looking around and realizing, I am really not normal. And so I had them kind of guide me. Like, they helped me open a bank account. They talked to me about, you know, you're not supposed to date 27-year-old guys when you're 16. And, and apparently, I didn't know that. <laughs> In fact, my nickname was Jailbait because I didn't well, understand boundaries with well, older men. When you're, yeah, when you're in a polygamy group, older, it's a normal, isn't it's it? A for there's no boundaries whether they're yeah. married or not married. Exactly. And so being even adopted into a new family, even though he's now my dad, I was really careful to keep boundaries with even his, his brothers. Yes. You would think that in a normal life, like, that's my dad, mm -hmm. and those are his brothers. That's never going to happen. <laughs> but in the order, that's who you marry. You marry your father's brothers. And so it's mm -hmm. like, even in this new world, I'm really, like, holding people at a distance, and it's hard because then they feel rejected by me. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you don't understand. I'm protecting you and me. Like, mm -hmm. this could be a really confusing relationship if we keep going there, you know? Yeah. I don't know how to put, like, the boundaries on unless we just put the wall up. Mm -hmm. up and that's out. very difficult to learn how to do. Mm -hmm. it, it, and I can vouch for that as well. Mm -hmm. What about welfare? Families in the group, are they on <laughs> welfare because they don't have legitimate husbands or fathers to supply their needs? What? They teach you that if, as soon as you have your first baby, if you can, go get on welfare. Yes. That is the first thing they teach you. And that is, in fact, most of the girls, 16, 17, 18, they will go there and claim they don't know who their baby's daddy is, and they will all go get on welfare. Uh -huh. In fact, I worked for their grocery store for a couple of years before, not a couple of years, for actually about a year before I left. And, and this is the grocery store owned by the group, yes. the polygamy group, okay? Every, almost every mother, either they were on welfare, and if they couldn't get Food on welfare... Food stamp welfare or WIC welfare? Both. The WIC and Most of them stamp. were WIC, but a lot of them were food stamps. And if they didn't, in fact, I saw a little girl come in and she was begging her mom to buy oats because they don't have food. And that little girl oh. is not going to eat unless her mom bought the oats. And I, we... Most kids beg for candy and yeah. chips. But that <laughs> one, like, can we get the oats and potatoes and rice, please? Wow. <laughs> oh, how sad that we is. We dumpster dived when yeah. we would beg my mom, like, can we please stop at Smith's and go stop at the dumpster? 
that in fact we had a farm where we would beg our mom to go because they would actually have food and it was the leftover stuff that they were going to throw it away to the pigs uh-huh. and so we'd say mom can we please get there before they before they throw the animals yeah exactly because wow. that was our good food now this should shock this should shock our viewers <laughs> the people that are watching our show tonight sh this should be something and and the, the officials who refuse to believe there's anything wrong going inside a polygamy group this should shock them into some some kind of a reaction i honestly this is wonder awful. how much even the dads know that's going on because i remember when my dad was coming over that's when we had the full meal that's when we had the potatoes and the chicken and the vegetables you know uh -huh, I've heard it that looked really too. nice and yeah I've confronted my dad about it, and he denied it up and down. And I denied what part? Everything. I was. I told him. I said, "How are you?" After I left, of course, mm -hmm. I would never have talked to him like this mm -hmm. before I left. But after I left, then I confronted him, and I said, "You know, all this stuff is going on." I said, "You're you're a very intelligent person. You have a lot of business sense. You know these women aren't feeding their families. You know that they can't physically feed their families with the large number that they have, and the minimum wage that you pay them." you know it's not possible. And he said, the order takes care of their people. And that's all he would say about it, and then he changed the subject. He knows what's going on. So I guess they don't need to be fed and watered, huh? No. But I'm sure he's being fed. Oh, he is. <laughs> Except for his 40-day fast, <laughs> he chooses. In the early days, uh, the leader of the group, J.O. Kingston, actually got uh, sued by the state of Utah for welfare fraud. He had to pay, I think, 240000 280000 $280,000 as, a, as, as a, so that he wouldn't have to go to court, right? Mm -hmm. It was kind of an out-of-court settlement, yeah, for mm -hmm. welfare fraud. I wonder, the state, of, uh, the state at that time had more courage than it does now, <laughs> obviously. Just, and, well, yeah, and they weren't as good at hiding it. They're a lot better at hiding it now. They hide it now, but they also have contacted and made friends with people in the state. <laughs> okay. <laughs> They've had to. How did I get that home three times? <laughs> well, no, we are, yeah, we already know that that's, that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you've got people that are, yeah, yeah. being sued Okay, <laughs> Jessica, let's talk a little bit about, you've, you've alluded to it a few times, so let's talk about what happened. Uh, you finally did get out when your family landed in court in February of 2004, and it was after a dispute with your parents. Uh, their, the news said their two oldest daughters, uh, there was a fight because, or, you know, your, your dad wasn't too happy with you because you pierced your ears, and you're one of the sisters <laughs> that started all of this. So you were 15 at that time, mm -hmm. right? And you were placed in foster care at that time. So what happened? Kind of fill us in what happened after that. You were placed in foster care. You didn't want to go back home. What, what happened? Um, I don't know what part you're telling me to start at. <laughs> well, the part when you were placed in foster care. When I was placed in foster care? Okay, well, when I went straight from my mom's, my parents' care, I was actually placed with a kinship placement, somebody who knew me, and we so-called ran away, but really we were visiting our family. Were you inside the, were the was this family inside the group? No, it was oh. family that had left the group. Okay. And, um... We went and visited, like, my mom, because we, we, we love her, and we missed her, and we missed our family, and we were just, you know, 12 and a 15-year-old, and we were just like, okay, let's take the bus and go visit them, you know, and by default, that called us runaways, and that's what put us from the kinship placement to foster care. Oh. So then we were in, like, a girl's group home uh -huh. for a while, and the girl's group home is literally, like, two, two businesses or two doors down from one of the main order businesses. 
And the guy that I was potentially marrying, I knew he went to that business a lot. And then like my aunt didn't even live like a block away. So we were on a little walk for the girls group home. And I just decided, I just like looked over at the business. and was like, I'm gonna walk away. And I just walked away to go visit people. And then I got locked up as in DT. Oh my goodness. And considered a runaway. And then they moved me to a behavioral facility, also locked up for another few months. For, um, it was a really dark time in my life. It was really hard to go through because I was not there for the same reason the other children were there. Yeah. I was there for my own protection and nobody was really understanding what was going on and I was afraid of a lot of people, you know, and not trusting of a lot of people. And then from there, I finally just gave up, I guess, gave up the will to live and just decided I don't care what happens anymore. That's when I finally moved to foster care. And it was one of the hor- it was a horrible foster home. <laughs> Hmm. And I was in that foster home for about six months until I ran away. <laughs> I could just not stay put. <laughs> um, but I just really am like, I'm not going to put up with crap. So, and I'm going to be happy. Like, I just was so determined to be happy. And I was going to find that happiness. And I finally have. But uh-huh. from that foster home, I found a new foster. I finally got to a foster home where they were going to adopt me. Oh. Everything was great. And then they were getting divorced. Oh. And at the time, it was not a good place for me. <laughs> Yes. Emotionally to deal with them getting divorced and trying to figure that out. And so they found me a new foster home. <laughs> and they adopted me. Oh. And they agreed to adopt me sight unseen. And really? It was a really like... So you had a legal adoption with mm-hmm. that family? The day after I turned 18. Waited till I turned 18 just because the state recommended it. Uh-huh. This is like me like getting after them I'm like pointing the finger you guys take advantage of the state and the welfare system but the state told me to wait till I Mm -hmm. turned 18 because Mm -hmm. then they would pay for my college Mm, and that there would be a grant available so well that's great (laughs) so so I know that um, that we're often threatened and I was too as well before I left that if I left I wouldn't be happy I couldn't be happy just like you know the threat of black blood and all this other crazy (laughs) stuff that's gonna happen are you both happy now Mm-hmm. That's Absolutely. probably why I was so determined to find happiness, just to show them, like, you're wrong. I'm going to find it. <laughs> I will yeah. be happy one day. And yeah. I finally have. I left mainly to, honestly, I wasn't really looking for happiness. I was looking to survive and protect my kids. Because I saw my mom, and she stood back while my father abused the kids in my home. And I was determined to never put my kids through that. Mm-hmm. And so So I you left. were one of those mothers that saw the danger and left. Yes. And got Wait, out. you were a mom in the group? No, I wasn't a mom. But you saw but the I danger saw, with yeah. your mother. Yeah. With exactly. the same thing going on there. Yeah. yeah. So that was why that was the number one reason I left. And then when actually when I was dating, the guys that I would date were guys that I didn't even care if I had a relationship with the guy. I wanted somebody that was gonna be a good dad. And luckily, I found both. I have an amazing husband and an amazing father. You're so blessed. (laughs) (laughs) That is so good. So I got lucky, but that wasn't, I mean, yeah, that wasn't what I was looking for. (laughs) Um, We have another subject that might be painful to talk about. So just talk about what you feel comfortable. And this is going to be abuse as children. You said you were abused as children. You've seen abuse of other children in the group. What kind of abuse did you have that was actually perpetrated on you and that you saw happen to others? And explain only as much as as you're comfortable talking about. Mm, I don't know where to begin. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much, let's just say it's every abuse out there I've pretty much either seen or experienced. 
you know, like the worst beating I could say was probably with a two by four for me. And you were beat by a two by four. I was, and I actually passed out. But my my brother first was sent to go get the stick, and I got beat with a stick, and it broke on me. And my dad yelled at him and said, "Go get me a stronger stick. If it breaks, I'm gonna break one on you." So my poor brother sent outside to go find this big stick and found a two by four that was laying around. So that was my worst beating, just to bring it to the worst. Um, I saw somebody throw a baby at the wall when I was in daycare. So, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty severe. And, I mean, I don't... How, how old was the baby? Did, 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 was it okay? It lived, yeah. The baby, <laughs> it lived. It lived. Let, let's say it lived. It's still in the order. <laughs> it's still alive. So that's the thing that's sad, though. I look at the people who died through the abuse as the lucky ones who got out. You know, I always, I was praying to Heavenly Father, but like, look please at you. let you're me die. You're out and you're blessed. Yeah. You're out and you're blessed. At the time, you don't see that. You though. don't see that yeah. now, right? When you're wrapped up in it. In fact, my worst beating was I was six years old and I stole some candy from my teacher in first grade. And maybe it was seven. It was in first grade. My dad, I remember my mom took me to my dad and my dad said, we'll go get a wooden spoon because she needs a spanking or whatever. My mom came back with a piece of a bed, like just a metal bar, the L-shaped bars that you hook bed, really old beds together. Mm -hmm. There was rust on it. Mm -hmm. And she came back and brought this to my dad. And I was like, and I look at my mom like, really? Like, you're, you're gonna let him beat me with this? Like, you're gonna bring this to him? And he, he beat me with it. And oh I, and ever, in fact, that was the moment where I was like, I hate my dad. Yeah. I never yeah. hated, and I hated my mom for a long time for that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that was when I was, I was never, never going to let them touch my kids. Yeah. Never, never. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> what about sexual abuse? I don't know how much <laughs> we should go into. But Just no there, names. Yeah. Um, we grew up next to each other, and we were both victims together with somebody who was one of our neighbors. And in the group. That's yeah, and in the group. in the group. And so... Um, and it wasn't just a little bit of fondling. It was <laughs> as far as it could have gone. Really? And, and we were probably did five... You, I was, we were pretty much gang raped together. five or six, <laughs> when, and she was just a little bit younger than me. So, yeah. so yeah. I guess that's like... Our whole life is just a sex story. Like, I honestly felt like I was placed on this earth to please men. It took a long time to fix that. It's kind of the way the polygamy group makes a woman feel, a female feel, doesn't it? That's what makes that's a good wife. Like, I've, I picked up on the favored wives were the ones who were sexually pleasing. So from a young age, mm -hmm. I and the way I learned to survive, mm -hmm. when I would watch TV shows where girls would get raped and then killed, I was like, don't, like, be good. Like, yeah. follow through and make them want to keep you alive for a second round. Like, mm -hmm. oh that's my goodness. honestly what I learned my growing goodness. up. It took a long time to re-fix those things. Would it have done any good, or did you tell anybody what happened? Yes, multiple times. In fact, one of her half-moms actually walked in on us and what was happening on with the experience. us. Yeah. I don't remember exactly if she was trying to protect us when she told, if she said, told on us like we were victims or if she told on us like we were in it together with this with these men, like these boys or whatever yeah or what was going on I don't know I don't remember that portion of it but I do know I was feeling like I was severely in trouble for it <laughs> from my dad like it was yeah. your fault yes like it was your fault yeah in fact um 
after that experience that I had with her, then I was, because they, I don't remember if you guys moved away right after. Did you guys move away right after? Um, shortly after. I think that Diana yeah. was yeah. trying to break that from happening by creating distance. Yeah, they, they were moved away, and so I had a different babysitter, and I remember it happened again. In fact, I, I don't know about her. I was very badly sexually abused from age 5 to 14. Oh, my goodness. And I remember going from one instance to the next, and I remember every time after that instance, we all got in a lot of trouble for it, and I never told anybody about the next instances, especially since it was somebody that was why so close you? to my mom. Yeah, why would and you if you're going to get in trouble? Well, because yeah. you think it's okay, because some of these people, like, I mean, at one point, so the guy that I was thought I was going to marry or thought I was supposed to marry. I don't know exactly what was going on, but by this time <laughs> I'm 13, and they told us that we had to keep our marriages secret if we were going to get married before the age of 18 because Marianne had gone to jail or had gotten Daniel and David in jail, mm -hmm. and people were telling on him. So now Daniel's girls, which is one of me, had to wait till 18 to get married or had to keep it in secret. So this guy, he's like, told me he's a numbered man. So technically, he's like. God. One of God's spoken ones, like, I can't question him. And he comes to me, and at the time, I think he was 42, and I was 13. 42 years old and 13 years old. And okay. he told me that we were married in heaven before we came to earth, and that here on earth it was just paperwork, and so we are already married. And so in my mind, I was like, okay, well, well, we're already married, so that means we can do anything, and it's okay. And so it was a really confusing relationship. And then he was keeping it hidden from, like, my dad. And I was kind of confused why he was keeping it hidden. But then I was like, oh, maybe we're being tested on, you know, like, how secret can we keep this? And if we can keep it secret, then we can get married. Or I was, It was so confusing. Whoa. But <laughs> There's a lot to overcome, isn't there? And he was when the place I went to as a safe place from my, my mom. and my Like, my mom, she would say hurtful things, but she wasn't as physically abusive as my dad. But my dad was very physically abusive, and he was a safe place at the time. And now it's hard because I'm like, how? I can't even trust myself. Like, how could I be so stupid thinking that was safe, you know? Yeah. So. Well, well yeah. <laughs> you, you, you can't make good choices. Yeah. It takes a long time to learn how to make good choices when you come out. And I know that myself from my own experience. That's yeah. actually one of the things that's a really hard thing to learn is to make choices at all. Yes. If I don't decisions. have to, like I go to Cafe Rio, and they're like, do you want black or pinto beans? I'm like, just give me both. <laughs> oh, I make so choice. hard to choose because your parents chose everything for you. They choose your husband. They choose your, your job. They choose where have. you work, where you mm -hmm. live. Everything is chosen for you. And I've, I've mentioned this on the show before, but I'm just going to mention it to, you, to both of you <laughs> so you'll know. Um, my father told me that he wanted me to let him make my decisions for me, all of them for me, until I was 19 years old. And then he would tr be able to trust me to make my own. After sounds that. very familiar. It sounds, but then how <laughs> can even let you at nineteen? You, you yeah. can't. Even, how can you learn to make your own decisions if they never give you the opportunity to 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 practice making exactly. decisions? <laughs> there was an article in the Rolling Stones magazine a couple of years ago and uh, interviewed a man who had left the Kingston group. My and brother. <laughs> was that your brother? Yes. Oh, okay. Not my full brother, but yes, he, that was my half brother. He made a statement. I'm I'm going to quote. He said, "Money, sex, and power." They'll do what they need to do to defend what's theirs, end quote. Mm -hmm. Referring, of course, to the Kingston group. If that were your statement to make, would you change it? or And if so, how would you change it? I would change it to control. They're very controlling. They would control what's theirs. They control you. Controlling. It's like you're living in the Truman Show, pretty much. Like, 
they have eyes and ears everywhere and now they have secret spies that are called as missionaries they're just they're hilarious <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. they've got something to worry about if they have to have spies yeah, everywhere don't well their they? spies keep track of like like i could we could be friends and i could be a spy and be telling somebody what yeah, she's telling exactly. me as as a confidant as a friend and you just can't to, you can't yeah. trust anybody in there you have to keep it to yourself you can be full-on brother and sister living in the same home and both wanting to leave and both talking to the same person like talking to me or talking to her saying mm -hmm. i want to leave but neither of the two have talked to each other they live together mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. no you have no idea but they can't trust each other because mm -hmm. Yeah. Who, what have they done? Who's going to find out? So, yeah. I had a phone call from someone from the group, and this was a while back, probably three or four years ago, and she was calling from her cell phone, and she wanted help and was trying to find out what kind of help that I would give her. And I was talking to her, and she was going to call me back the next day, and we were going to find a time when we could meet privately without anybody finding out. But they must bug Did their cell disappear? phones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, she called me the next day, and she, I could hear somebody in the background, and I knew there was something bad going on. And she said, I'm calling to apologize for my phone call yesterday. I am sorry I said it. I didn't mean it. Don't contact me ever again. And I thought, what's Similar happened to that? Happened to me. Something has happened yep. to her. I don't know who it was because she wouldn't tell me her real name. But do they bug your cell phones too? Absolutely. Bug your cell phones. There's cameras at your work. There's the, the, their business phones are bugged, so if you make calls on them, mm -hmm. um, like, they just My, have everything everywhere. I want to say this as any <laughs> advice for anybody that ever gets a call from somebody in a community that wants help out. You have that one phone call to make a difference. You won't get another one. When that person is calling you, they're doing it out of desperation, and that is the time that That's they're the going to make a difference. Mm -hmm. So whenever I have people call me, I think I plan on that being my only time that I will have contact with them and I give them, I hear their story and I give them the advice that can help them get out. Mm -hmm. Whatever's holding them back, you have to figure out a way to help them get over that fear Yeah. and then let them go back and make a decision because even if they don't end up leaving, they go back with that seed that you planted. Right. In fact, I had an amazing therapist that told me, she said, you know, because I asked her, I said, how do you do this every day? How do you listen to this? And she said, you know, I don't, I can't change everybody. I mm. can't fix their life, but I can plant seeds. Yeah. And if they are somebody that wants it to grow, it's going to grow. It'll grow. Doesn't and that's it. all you can do. Yeah. And that's true. so that's when I have people that call, because I've actually worked with organizations. I've actually helped quite a few people mm -hmm. leave. Good. And that is what, when I get calls and I say, okay, here, here are your options. Here is my number. You're always welcome to call whenever mm -hmm. you're ready. Mm -hmm. And I never push because if you push, it pushes oh, you can't farther push. in. That's for sure. You can't push, but you can certainly give them the encouragement and the op opportunity. Um, the Davis County Clipper magazine uh, or newspaper published an article on October 2nd of 2008. And the person that they were talking about and who had um, the interviewed was Heidi Foster. <laughs> she said, uh, and she was asked about domestic violence and sex abuse in the group, and she said that, quote, there is abuse in any community. Oh, yeah. End quote. So my question here is, doesn't the group teach that they are the only true kingdom of God? And wouldn't you expect God's only and special people to act differently? than 
any other community in the world, if they're God's people, would there not be the sexual violence and the abuse? If you're in the community, you would never see that. They would never admit that to somebody in the community. They will... That there's they, abuse going on? Absolutely. They will say what they say to the outside world. They understand that what they teach their people is BS. And they understand that. They, they know that the outside world isn't going to believe that line of BS. And so I would have, in fact, I've never heard her say anything like that when I was in the community. Mm -hmm. And I was in the community throughout their whole case. I've never heard anybody actually admit to that. And Heidi, two wrongs don't make a right anyway, does it? Yeah. <laughs> and Heidi, I mean, she's my mom. Uh -huh. During our case, when my sister and I, my sister was saying that there was abuse before I was saying it. And I was saying there was an abuse that we were just punished like normal kids. Because we're taught that's how normal kids are punished, you know. And you see the news and these kids are beat, like their kids are beat or killed or shot or whatever. And then it's like, oh, you have it better than them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I do. Because I'm not exposed to the real world. So... We don't look at it as abuse growing up, but on top of that, um, Heidi used to tell us we were making it up. And then she turns around and says that, and says wow. that there is abuse, but everyone has but abuse. But everybody has it. But so. there's specifically a time where Daniel was beating my little sister, the other one who got away with me, and Heidi was there, and she straight up, or I, I said, why are you letting this happen? I just immediately was like, I have had enough. I stood up, was like, Daniel, stop it. Why are you letting this happen, Heidi? And she's like, I would do the same thing. I'm like, no, you wouldn't. And like, just ended it. Mm. And so that's the thing. It's so hard to see that she would say something like that when she was there. And I, you know, mm -hmm. it's not like, yeah, it's just frustrating. But I often wondered with my own mother, she was very <laughs> abusive as well, how they could do that to their children. Yeah, I think, I I think you have to unlove them. Yeah, what, what is I wrong get that they could do that and watch that happen to their children and not try and intervene? I just, I don't get it. I, don't. I, I can understand the men, I understand, because they have no relationship with their kids and they have tempers that are out of control. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But with, with the moms, then I think... I, I think my own they're mom. being abused, too. Yeah, I think that... I mean, I've seen my mom be, be abused, but I think it... I mean, now that I'm in a marriage relationship, I think, okay, how did this work out for them, this intimate part, <laughs> unless he, like, abused her? Like, how, yeah. do you, how is she intimately attracted to him, you know? So... And, and that's <laughs> the thing. Most, in fact, most girls that I've talked to that are still in the communities, they will admit that their first time was rape. And I it's... I heard that, too. In fact, I, in fact, all I think all the women that I've talked to admit that their first time was rape, except one. I remember one that I talked to that wow. her first time wasn't. Wow. And then, but then you're gang raped when you're five <laughs> yeah, exactly. years old. Oh my goodness! Who knows what happened this, there? <laughs> this, this is a little, a little tough to I hear. I just love that we say yeah. all this kind of stuff and we smile, but the, our smile is our way to deal with it. I don't want you to think that we we think it's okay. Well, I know you don't okay. think it's okay. I, no. I, I'm not. I have no problem with that, and I don't think our viewers are getting that either. Another article in the Clipper, August seventh of two thousand and eight. Carlene Cannon said the following about the group. And I'd like to see if you agree with what she said. First of all, each husband <laughs> makes sure his family of several wives and their children is taken care of, just as it is hoped happens in any traditional society. Do the husbands take care of their families? We kind of talked no. about that with the welfare with the dumpster, <laughs> dem dipsy dumpsters, and all that. But even no. specifically, like during my case, the judge asked my dad, like, how do you support Heidi and her children? He's like, and he just kept dodging the question. He's like, I want to know how you specifically, like, 
how much money do you give her? If you buy shoes for the kids, if you buy groceries, what do you buy for them? And then he just so proudly sat in his chair and he's like, I buy Heidi and her kids a box of potatoes and a bag of oats every month. And he was so proud of himself that he he was a great dad because he did that. And we only got it once a year. Yeah. You guys well, the judges, the judges like, are you kidding me? That's like, that's well, it. she lived in luxury compared to you. I know. We seriously got so, like a thing of oats and a box of oranges for Christmas every year for my dad. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That is it. So he probably wow. thinks he's supporting us. But I don't know. <laughs> no, uh, nobody is that obtuse. Yeah. Really, they are not He's that. He's got to be stupider than he thinks he is. <laughs> okay, we only have a couple more minutes uh, to talk, so let's quickly answer this next one. She also said, women have a choice to either work or stay home. They can stay home for a few years, then go to work. This is a decision for each family to make. But these polygamous wives have, have huge families. And if the husband isn't supporting them, they do, they do, don't have a they choice. They rely on each they other as mothers. They have to work, and they rely on each other. And they have to pay the babysitter, because the babysitter needs money to feed her family, too. They don't pay the babysitter anything. Really? They pay them a dollar an hour per kid. Oh. Wow. They're minimum wage like crazy. So even with working a full-time job, we never saw my mom. She worked like 8 a.m. to 8 yeah. p.m. I put the kids to bed. I got the kids fed. So I could make egg on toast when I was six years old. Yeah, full on milk. Like, <laughs> like I you learn how to babysit very young, don't you? Yes. Yeah. But now I'm a great mom. <laughs> I think so. Well, and that's and that's great. And you know, often and that's that's good because often we think I will I will never let my kids suffer what I had to suffer. And exactly never. where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> and I was never told I was loved when I was growing up. Not once my mother or my dad ever told me they loved me. I heard yeah. it usually after a beating, and I would say. Yep. <laughs> well, no, well, mom and I that. love you. Yes. I'm going to do this because I love you. Yeah. And it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Do you yeah. have a birth certificate? Yes. It's fake, but yeah. <laughs> it's fake, but yeah. Okay, well, we're going to have to save the rest of our conversation for another <laughs> show. And there will be another show, by the way, that we're going to follow up on this. So thank you very much for, for coming and sharing your life with us. I know some of it's tough. You know, it's always been my desire since discovering that God does not require polygamy to share that truth with polygamists. I've clung to the belief that if polygamists knew that their eternal life depends on what they do with Jesus rather than on polygamy and the united order, that they would trust Jesus instead of polygamy, especially the women. If they were convinced that polygamy is not the way to God's heart and to his love, they would refuse to be part of this unloving, empty, and heartbreaking life of polygamy. If they could know and believe that God's love for them is so much greater than to have a decreed life of polygamy for them, they would refuse to be intimidated and bullied into accepting a life of second best. If they could know that God wants each woman to have her own private and personal husband without being forced to share him with other women, they'd choose Jesus instead of polygamy. Those who want to leave this life of polygamy but don't leave are often those who are afraid of disappointing loved ones, of losing family, friends, job security, and salvation. There are those who do leave and have been led to believe that they have chosen hell as the only alternative. But Jesus never said that polygamy will lead anyone to eternal life. Jesus never said that the United Order would be his community to bring an elite group of people to heaven. In fact, Jesus never taught anything ever about 
polygamy or the united order. He told us the way to heaven is only himself, that the way to God is only through him. The cross of Jesus Christ is the purchase price of our eternal life, not polygamy. Polygamy is a cruel, coercive, and painful life, one that God has never ordained, a life that makes God sad, sad because he loves you too much to ever want that sadness for you, and sad because polygamy is loveless, and it has demeaned and taken the place of God's love. That's why we call our show Polygamy. What love is this? It doesn't reflect the love that God wants the husband to give his one wife. Jesus is the way. He is the truth, and he is the life. He is eternal life. No one goes to the Father any other way, and that includes polygamy, and that includes celestial marriage and the united order. Polygamy is just another detour from the simple truth of God's love and from his only provision for eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him would have eternal life. And we pray that our polygamous viewers will check these things out. Check out what we say. Listen to what these girls talked about and learn what pleases God and turn from polygamy to the fullness of the gospel, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.